Only God has the ability to choose life for Israel. Now, that's very important today as we study Ezekiel chapter 37. What an amazing read. This is a good one. We're going to talk about it in five minutes. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemmer. I'm Jen. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering what Ezekiel has talked about. And we continue to discover this. This is very interesting. And this is something we're going to be looking at today with Ryan and Corey. Ryan and Corey, go ahead, Corey. All right. Well, lots of warfare covered today in Ezekiel's 37 to 39. So we're going to be focusing in on one aspect of specifically ancient warfare. Ryan? Well, today I'm going to be actually taking a close-up look at Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 29, because there's some disagreement between Bible scholars on how this verse should be translated. All right. That's very interesting. Janice? Our hope in God. All right. Open up your Bible. Let's hear what God's saying. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 10. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 10. Ezekiel chapter 37, chapter 38, and chapter 39 is what we study as we go through the Bible. That's God's Word. It's very important as we look at this because it's fascinating. You know, in the shadow of ancient Babylon, by the river Kibar, Ezekiel was given a remarkable vision, a vision of land and a vision of people of Israel. And this vision clearly involves the future. Now, in my view of eschatology, that is the end times, this vision has already begun. I believe that we are in the midst of that vision right now. Israel has been returning to their land. 
Right now, there is one undivided Israel, and there are not two Israels falling apart, northern Israel and southern Israel, Judah. The final part of chapter 37 speaks about God forgiving Israel of their sins. Now, when they mourn for what they have done, that's Zechariah 12, 10 to 14, they will repent, that is, to Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 14, verse 6. Clearly, we are in unique times. And at this time, God continues to fulfill his prophecy. It does not matter what so-called prophets say about the Lord. God is fulfilling what his word actually says. And that's what his word talks about. It talks about the future and prophecy. Now, this is absolutely amazing. And I want to encourage you today that if you are behind in reading the Bible, that's okay. Just pick up your Bible guide and begin where we are right now, because this is really something. We're talking about the vision. We're talking about Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 10. If you don't have a Bible guide, write to us or call us. We'd be happy to send you one. But in the meantime, uh, you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on the Bible guide, and it'll take you to a page Thank you so much for your donations. But it'll take you to a page where you can get a hold of the Bible guide just as we printed it. Now today, let's pray and let's ask the Lord to speak to us from his word to our hearts. And let's not put our ideas into it. So Father, we ask today in the name of Jesus Christ that you would help us to know your word. Help us to understand what you've said. And help us, Lord, to realize that this is the vision that you gave Ezekiel and to all of the church today and to all of his people. And help us to know what it means. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we look at the scripture, it says this, 37 verse 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. And then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered the Lord. I said, O oh Lord, you know. And again, he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, which leads me to the first point. Only God has the power to bring death to life and rebuild Israel. Israel continues to grow today and thrive, even through millions, or even though millions of people want it eliminated, and there's a lot of people who do. Israel is a nation commissioned by God and brought together by God. It's not that the people there are so great. It's that God is almighty. 
And we need to understand that if we are looking at the prophecy, the end of time, we look at Israel and we look at what God is doing there. And God is doing amazing things right now. There's a great deal of struggle happening in Israel. So let's not look at our neighborhoods. Let's look at Israel and see what God is doing. Now we come to the next passage of scripture in chapter 37, verse 7. Here's what it says. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And suddenly a rattling and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. And the skin converted or covered them over. But there was no breath in them. This brings me to the second point. God begins his construction of Israel. And as Christians, we should remember Israel is a place to focus our attention on. God begins his construction of Israel. And as Christians, we should remember that Israel is a place to focus our attention on. Now, beloved, keep this in mind. As we pay attention to Israel, and get our focus over there and understand what's happening, we begin to realize God is moving in remarkable ways. Again, this is what I say. Keep our attention focused on Israel. That's very, very important. All right, let's go on to the last passage because this is interesting. Ezekiel 37, 9 and 10. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. And that brings me to the third point. God has formed Israel's defenses and army. Unless we fall under God's will, we will not be protected. Beloved, we need to understand something. There's a lot of people that don't like Israel. And there's a lot of people that want it to go away. And let me tell you something, it's not going to. I can tell you that 100% sure because the Bible tells me that. Israel's not going away. It's God's nation. And he's making a point with that nation right now. And, you know, Josephus, the great historian of the first century, called the Christians the 13th tribe of Israel. Romans 11 says that we're grafted in. So I can tell you that as a Christian, I am, by the grace of Jesus Christ and the power of God Almighty, he has given me the gift of eternal life, but he's also grafted me in to his nation. And that is a great thing to be because the Lord is getting stronger and stronger, even though it doesn't look like it. The Lord is showing and people are making decisions about Jesus Christ today and right now. And it's totally changing everything. So beloved, keep in mind, God is doing something very unique today, very original today in the midst of all of this chaos going on around the world. God is moving in a unique way. And we need to remember that. It's not a political party. It's not any of that. It's the supernatural, spiritual entity of the Holy Spirit of God who came down, died on the cross, and rose again, Jesus Christ, so that we could have our sins forgiven and have the gift of eternal life. Beloved, come to Jesus because his nation is around the corner. 
Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. All right, so we're dealing today in our assigned reading that's going to get you through the Bible this year, Ezekiel 37, 38, and 39. And these are very famous and controversial passages. I mean, you've got the Valley of the Dry Bones in 37 and the War of Gog and Magog and Over the Nations in 38 and 39. Uh, but all of these chapters have one thing in common, and that is the undercurrent and the overtone of warfare, right? We've got the aftermath of warfare in uh, Ezekiel 37, and then outright warfare in 38 and 39. But there was a crucial element of ancient warfare that really was a part of human warfare until just about a hundred odd years ago. Uh, and that is the war horse. Take a look at this. Beginning in Exodus, the second book of the Bible, horses are mentioned frequently in the context of war. At first, horses and chariots are the terrifying tools of the enemies of Israel, Pharaoh's chariots and the deadly iron chariotry of the Philistines, for example. In those early days of Israel as a nation, they themselves did not possess a chariotry. But as the time of the kings of Israel unfolded, horsemanship and chariot warfare became a primary goal. By the third king, Solomon, we see Israel buying horses in bulk, building chariot cities, and organizing a centralized feeding system for the nation's horses. A few generations later, during the reign of King Ahab, two enemy nations would record on documents that still survive Ahab and Israel's unusually powerful chariot force. The Teldan Stella says that Ahab brought 2,000 chariots to battle, which would represent anywhere from four to 6,000 chariot horses. This seems to confirm an Assyrian record that claims Ahab brought the strongest chariot force to the Battle of Karkar, again numbering 2,000 chariots. Scholar and modern horse professional Deborah O'Daniel Cantrell has argued for a modern misunderstanding of the archaeological evidence for horses and chariotry in ancient Israel, largely based off a misunderstanding of the needs and training regimes of horses. Her work points to the city of Megiddo as an exemplar of a chariot city, showing convincing evidence for horse stabling, including horse chewing marks on remaining feeding troughs as well as interpreting Israel's four and six chambered gates as chariot hitching stations. Chariot horses were a most feared weapon. They were trained to kill by trampling, and in the words of Cantrell, they were trained to be addicted to speed, which is what made them both a fearsome weapon and difficult to control in the heat of battle. Horses were also very difficult to kill, with spear, arrow, and sword wounds exciting them further and with their circulatory system allowing their drivers hours to get them back to camp to deal with what could have been deadly wounds. Horses' main weakness, on the other hand, is their stamina. Horses' exhaustion levels need to be strictly controlled by their drivers, otherwise they would work themselves to death. This meant that to battle successfully, a chariotry would need to have waves of chariots that would fight and retreat to camp for rest. 
Another weakness is the horse's startle reflex, which could send an excited warhorse on an uncontrolled deadly flight. History seems to show that enemy armies were always trying new tactics to startle enemy horses while desensitizing their own horses to the same stimuli. There were parts of the war horse's apparel that did help with this. Horses wore blinders to limit their vision by up to 90%, and multiple bells were incorporated onto their gear. This could have multiple benefits, helping horses match each other's gaits, announcing their presence, and creating a comforting white noise for the horses. Whether we think of the heavenly horses that accompanied Elijah to heaven, the fearsome chariot driver King Jehu, or the war horses of Revelation, it's clear that horses were tremendously important in the history of Israel. All right, so there we go. You know, horses, chariot horses, and war horses are going to be popping up again in some of the minor prophets as we go through. So this is just a really good element to be aware of and, and, and to understand a little bit more because it is very, very separated from our world today, at least here in the West. Yes, it's very interesting, Corey. Thank you so much for that. Mm -hmm. um, Ryan? Okay, so my segment today, which is coming to you from my YouTube channel, is all about Ezekiel chapter 34, which was a part of our weekend reading assignment. And my specific focus is on verse 29, in which is contained two Hebrew words that have been translated in various different ways, depending on which Bible translation that you're reading. And some versions of the Bible understand these two Hebrew words as a reference to the Messiah, while others see it as referring to Israel. So, which is it? Okay, so in Ezekiel chapter 34, we read about God's indictment against the spiritual shepherds of Israel who oppressed and misled his people and his promise to raise up for his people a good and true shepherd who will lead the people in the right way. And they shall no more be a prey to the heathen, God says, neither shall the beast of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will raise up for them a plant of renown, and they shall be no more consumed with hunger in the land." So while God's message is crystal clear, there is some question regarding how verse 29 should be translated. In the Hebrew, it says that God will raise up for his people matah shame, a Hebrew phrase that the King James Version renders as a plant of renown, but which the English Standard Version translates as renowned plantations. The former translates the Hebrew as a person, namely the Messiah, called a plant of renown, while the latter translates it as a place, namely the land of Israel, a place of renowned plantations. The question is, which meaning did Ezekiel intend? One point in favor of the Messianic view is that the title plant of renown seems to suggest the thought that Ezekiel was reproducing the ideal picture of the branch, the root, the stem, and the plant that we read about in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Zechariah. But one challenge to translating this Hebrew phrase as a messianic title is that the specific Hebrew word used here, matah, is different from the words Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Zechariah used. Furthermore, when matah occurs elsewhere in scripture, it apparently doesn't carry this meaning. In addition to this, most of the major Bible translations take Ezekiel 34:29 as a reference to Israel, not the Messiah. Some of these translations include the ESV, NIV, LSB, CJB, and NASB. And out of all the versions that I checked, only the KJV and NRSV support the Messianic view. But despite the heavy favor towards the Israel view, 
Bible scholar George W. Knight points out that it is the context of this verse which provides support for the messianic interpretation. The entire 34th chapter of Ezekiel describes how God the Father will send a shepherd, his servant David, to feed his flock. As the plant of renown, this servant, this Messiah from David's line, will provide God's people with all the food they need, so they shall be no more consumed with hunger. Renowned Bible scholar John Gill concurred. He wrote that the hunger Ezekiel was referring to was not of hunger through a famine of bread and water, but of hearing the word of the Lord, which they shall now have, and hear and believe, and so have food for their souls. For this plant raised up for them, the tree of life, Christ Jesus, bears all manner of precious fruit, sweet to the taste and nourishing to the souls of his people. Now, to be fair, either of these views are possible in light of the scriptures, which teach that God is both our spiritual and physical sustainer. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who leads his children in the right way, but under his kingship, the physical land will naturally prosper as well. Okay, so I hope that you enjoyed this segment. And as I mentioned before, this video is from my YouTube channel. And I really recommend that you check it out there too, because what I showed you today was a really cut down version. And I have to keep things shorter on the program because of time limits. But on YouTube, it's completely uncut. So make sure that you check it out. And my YouTube channel is just my name, Ryan Hembry. And there you'll also find lots of other content. So be sure to subscribe so that you won't miss anything. I think it's important to remember that on, on the program, both Corey's segment and your segment is cut down because we work very hard to keep this in 2830 mm -hmm. on the program so that it can fit inside a uh, slot on television programs. So, but YouTube is different. You know, That's YouTube, right. we can go further. Okay, yep. Janice. Yep. Our hope in God is what I titled this segment today. And looking at this chapter in Ezekiel, one of my favorites, I remember as a little girl, remember that song, Dem Bones, Dem Bones, Dem Dry, dry bones. bones, Dem Bones, Dem Bones, Dem Dry Bones. Very good. I like how you came <laughs> into that. That was great. But that's not what I'm going to talk about today. Not that song, but just that the fact here, we know that this dry bones vision, this prophecy was Israel coming to life again. And, it, and it's just so exciting as the chapter builds and builds. But in other passages in the Bible, dry bones are a metaphor for a downcast spirit. We see here in Proverbs 17, verse 22, a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. And conversely, Proverbs 15, 30, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart and a good report makes the bones healthy. And so I wanted to, to, to take a look at that today. You know, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians about repentance. And I just find this passage very, very interesting, as Rod would say, and also a very applicable to this downcast spirit. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6, Paul writes, Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And then later on in verse 10, Paul says, Godly sorrow, listen to that now, godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. This godly sorrow, when we recognize how far we have fallen away from where God wants us to be, 
It leads us to repentance. It leads us to God's salvation. It leads us back to him and coming right because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us by dying on the cross and paying for our sins, coming to him and asking for his forgiveness. And then he comes and dwells inside of us and helps us every single day to learn how to follow him in the right way, literally coming back alive. We are a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, The psalmist in Psalm 42 verse 5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Listen to what he says. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Psalm 42 11 says the same thing as Psalm 43 5. Those verses both say, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. These verses, Rod, are so very important. You know, um, like we said Proverbs here. Proverbs and I'm, Psalms. Yeah. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Hmm. When we come to God, this godly sorrow leads us to repentance. Mm-hmm. It helps us to understand how far we are away from God. But the world's sorrow is something very different. Mm. There is no hope. Nope. There is no hope in the world. There's no hope except through the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. This is this gift that God offers us. I think it's important to remember that and because it's different. The gift is different than any other gift you might, you know, people say a gift, a gift, I get a gift. It's not that. This is life. This is eternal life. God has given us eternal life. Let's not trivialize this. This is, this is life. And that's why we're so excited. That's why they call us evangelicals, because we tell people, if you come to Christ, Jesus Christ, and you say, Lord, you have paid the cost for my sin. Sin is in all of us, but God has paid the cost if we invite Jesus Christ into our hearts to be Lord of our life. And if we do that, then he comes in, he forgives us, gives us the Holy Spirit and gives us eternal life. And that's different. And we turn around and we follow him. Absolutely. We follow what he says. That's what it's all about. Come to Christ today. Pray his name and come to Christ right now. Well, here we go again. I'm talking about it all over again. It's Rumble and it's a social media network uh, system that is just really great. We are on there live with our streaming channel, but we're also on there with our program. Join us on Rumble. Today, let's pray, Lord, help me to keep my eyes focused on your word and Israel. Help me to pay attention to what's happening and learn about what you're doing. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen.